0: Hello and welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry, host of GPV-TV's Lawmakers and the new show Lawmakers Beyond the Dome. I'm filling in for Bill Nygut this morning. We have a full show slated for you on the student loan crisis, and I am happy to say... Uh, The Monday guest is Patricia Murphy with the AJC. She's the political columnist. And we want to start, though, before we get in the student loans with her, because the Jolt has just come out and she's part of the team that writes the Jolt. And one of the things, Patricia, we see is that Governor Kemp is scheduled to deliver videotaped testimony to the Fulton County Special Grand Jury today. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that's right. This is the result of a subpoena that was sent from Bonnie Willis's office to Governor Brian Kemp. It's a part of that investigation into Donald Trump over his conduct after the 2020 elections. Um, this is one of the unique instances in which prosecutors have agreed um, to accommodate the governor's schedule, that they would have him do videotaped testimony. They also subpoenaed any records and correspondence that he had that could shed light onto the events following the 2020 elections. And so Kemp now is coming at the end of a long line of Republican and Democrats, the Republicans and Democrats to have come in front of um, the special grand jury. And this is just an investigation. They're not prosecuting a case right now, but we've already seen Secretary of State Brad um, House Speaker David Rolston, Democratic lawmakers have already given their testimony, and there is a group also of Republican lawmakers who had tried to evade their subpoenas, saying that they shouldn't have to testify to the grand jury, um, but the judge in the case has said that's not the case. You'll need to you'll need to come in and give your testimony as well. So that's where this stands, and it's all um, not just in the Donald Trump, but the subpoena that was sent to Governor Kemp said it's. Uh, looking at Donald Trump and those who worked with him in the uh, kind of in the aftermath of November and leading up to January, when you placed that call to Brad Raffensperger saying he needed to help find um, 11,000 votes to overturn the election.
0: I think it's interesting they're letting him do it by videotape. I didn't realize they were doing some of that. So
1: yeah, they you know. said it's in the spirit of cooperation. And okay, so I think they're looking to not have an adversarial moment with Kemp. He's not seen as somebody who is trying to impede the investigation, but he is one of the few people who has said practically nothing about what Donald Trump said to him. We know all about what he said to Brad Raffensperger and what the president did to pressure him. But we know very little about what uh, the president said directly to Kemp. And so this is chance for the grand jury to hear that.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting, and certainly you'll keep on top of it and keep us informed of that. Thank you so much, Patricia. And thanks for being here for this show on student loans. So let's get into that. Now that the pause on student loan payments for the federal government, that it was instituted in March of 2020, hard to believe, at the start of the pandemic, that is slated to end September 1st. And certainly, welcome relief to 40 million Americans who owe a combined $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. about. A quarter of them are in delinquency or default. And Georgia's total student debt, more than $68 billion. Big numbers. Big numbers with big implications for both the individuals with the loans and the economy in Georgia and nationwide, making it a major political issue in this election year. So today we'll talk about how student debt is affecting Georgians, what could happen next, and the politics involved. Excuse me. And so much more with our panelists. So we have Patricia Murphy, but we also from the AJC have Eric Sturgis, who is a longtime education journalist who now focuses on higher education. Glad to have you here, Eric. Good
2: morning. Thanks.
0: And joining the show for the first time, Dr. Maria Lumpkin, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives and Chief Transportation Director at Stillman College. Welcome, Maria. Tell us briefly about Stillman College for those who may not know.
3: Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Stillman College is a private liberal arts, historically black college in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We have about 800 students, and we are a growing community. And, of course, this topic is of concern uh, for our campus community, um, particularly because student loan debt impacts
0: uh, communities of color disproportionately. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. Thank you for being here. And also, the research director for the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, David Schaefer, is joining us. Thank you. We're always glad to have somebody with the Georgia Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. I always want to say just what you guys call yourself, the GBPI. So, hi, David. Hi, good morning. Thanks for being here. And, David, let's start with you. Let's start with this. There's a lot... excuse me, to dive in on this landscape here. So give us a brief overall picture of what's going on when it comes to student loans.
4: Sure. Um, And uh, let me preface a little bit of what I'm about to say is I encourage everybody in the next couple of days to take a look at our 2023 budget primer, which will be coming out on July 27th. You'll see sort of the layout of where we are in terms of spending this year, what has been allocated to higher education. And I think it provides some, some useful context for some of the comments that I'm about to make. Uh, but, yeah, getting into where we are in the state of Georgia right now, I think some of the top lines were offered up at the at the beginning of the show. Uh, we're really looking at a lot of student debt. Uh, Georgia, in fact, has the fifth largest student debt in the nation uh, among the 50 states, which is, is quite high. And uh, a couple of things that I think are worth talking about from Jump Street is, these debts do not discharge in bankruptcy. They affect co-signers in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the amount on average for, for those in Georgia who are carrying student debt is $40,000, and the typical payment for that debt across the United States is $400 per month. So we're talking about a lot of people, a lot of debt. We've had some efforts, I think, at the federal level that haven't always panned out the way that individuals thought they would. For example, the public service loan forgiveness program, Uh, you know, after 10 years of payments, they were supposed to uh, wipe out your debt for those that applied. Uh, Only 2% have had their loans erased in that program as of October 2021. So there have been efforts at the federal level to attack the student debt crisis, but at the same time, those haven't always panned out. And of course, uh, they haven't shown up on the ground for the people of Georgia as well. Uh, One thing I think that's worth considering is is there's a math problem with regards to paying for higher education in many cases. And that's why student debt becomes an issue. And it has to do with uh, the price of higher ed can be very high. And at the same time, income and household wealth is not where it should be in many cases in order to pay for that. And I know we're going to get into this later in the show, but there are major gender and, and racial equity implications for this. You'll see that students of color borrow more and borrow more frequently. You see more borrowing take place at the uh, historic Black colleges and universities. And all of these things, of course, are are tied to structural, racial, and gender inequities that exist across the system. So I wanted to, to lift that up, that this is an ongoing thing, and it, it underscores the inequities that we see across uh, Georgia's demographics in general. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. Of-
4: go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, it's interesting. You mentioned Georgia was was fifth. I've I've found that Georgia was third in National Center for Education Statistics. But I think the fact that we're so high, just period, is a lot.
4: It is. It is. And there is a lot. And and the good news is, is, is the state has has begun to recognize the issue. And we've seen some progress this month. Uh, this last legislative session to move in the right, right direction. Just to give you some overall budget numbers here, um, we're really looking at about $3.1 billion for the University System of Georgia in terms of FY 2023 spending. $444 million will go to the technical colleges and universities. We've had about $255 million allocated this year to help with college affordability. And there's a couple of steps that have been taken, I think, that are very helpful. Um, the special institutional fee has been eliminated. That is a fee that was begun in the recession. It 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 typically goes to operating costs for colleges and universities. That's been eliminated. HOPE is now covering 90% of tuition at technical colleges and at six of the University System of Georgia schools. It used to cover 100%. Uh, it was pegged at 90%, I think, in 2011. But those institutions, some of them, continue to raise their tuition costs And so the level of spending and coverage remain the same. But now it's at 90% again, and we're hoping that that will help out individuals. What this means on the ground is between these two steps that were taken in terms of college affordability this last legislative session. So we're looking at a savings of about $2,000 over two semesters on average due to the HOPE adjustment, and we're looking at about a $900 uh, savings over two semesters with regards to the special institutional fees elimination. So these are substantial numbers that should help. Uh, The other thing I think that was a real victory after years of pushing is there is now a college completion grant option that is on the table. This is to help individuals who are almost done with their degree get across the finish line. And this year, the legislature did allocate $10 million in lottery funds to help individuals that fall in that specific category. So we've seen some steps in the right direction. We've seen some recognition from the official level that we are in a student loan crisis. But again, there's major uh, racial equity implications here as well as gender equity, and I know we'll get that in a minute. But I just wanted to give you that brief overview of where we are, where we've been, where we're going.
0: Yeah, I know the the uh, legislature really did try to deal with certain things, and that special institutional fee was a big deal because it was just sitting there. And it had come in during the uh, the Great Recession, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and then it never it never left. So that is gone. So there are some great impl- implications for what's going to come up, but it still doesn't. It's 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 helping people who are paying but when it comes to loans we still know that people are still going to need to to go and get these loans. Eric, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. This this is there's a lot of pain out there right now for Georgians. Talk about that a little bit when it comes to these loans.
2: Yes, um you know, for students and even for parents. Um you know, in Georgia, I think there are about 68 um yeah, there are more than sixty thousand borrowers who are over 62, 62 and older. Um, you have about one hundred and fifty thousand Georgians who owe more than hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. Um, in Georgia, I think there are—I think that last count. I mean, there were about sixty-eight billion dollars in student loan debt. Um, a lot of that comes from you know students who are you know who took courses at for-profit colleges and universities. Um, You know, David alluded to this a little bit about, you know, the challenges that many students who attend historically Black colleges and universities face, you know, when it comes to um, student loan debt because traditionally those students, many of those students come from lower-income households, um, and, you know, and those schools don't get as much, you know, um, financial support from, you know, big donors and philanthropists. Um, so you have those issues. The Georgia legislature did try to address some of that this year with um, legislation that, um, you know, that will provide, you know, like about $2,500 to students who, you know, are already enrolled and are close to the finish line, but, you know, just have various financial challenges. They, um, that's been a big problem in colleges in recent years where students are close and then they just um, cannot afford to, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, um, you know, they have financial challenges and so. This is a way to address that. Georgia had been criticized for being one of two states that did not have a robust need-based aid, need aid program. And so this is a step, but there are still many other challenges that Georgia faces you know, regarding um, student loan debt.
0: Yeah. And and I want to get into a little bit of the fact that people are surprised that in Georgia, where we have the HOPE scholarship, that we still have these uh, loan issues. But I, I do, Maria, want to get into a little bit of one of the things that everybody has alluded to, and that is black families, families of color have had to disproportionately rely on financing to pursue a college education, and those loans, loan balances tend to be significantly higher. Um, one note that I found, the one message I found from the National Center for Economic Statistics, reports that among the class of 2016, the average student loan balance for Black students was nearly forty-three thousand dollars a year after graduation, one year later. Compared with thirty five thousand for white students, which is roughly about seven thousand dollars in a difference um, in what they'd owe. Talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit and what you know
3: Well, the first thing I want to say is that you know the very thing that is supposed to liberate us education now enslaves us, and it's very unfortunate that communities of color um, have been imposed such a crushing burden on um, them in their attainment of education, particularly those who enroll in programs where most don't finish uh, because of all kinds of factors, programs where most graduates are unable to find a job, or programs where debts incurred are unpayable, payable even uh, with a good paying job. Um, because of the failures in federal lending programs, millions of Americans are now of course, drowning in student loan debt. Uh, The borrowers who struggle um, disproportionately from lower-income families, first-generation students, students of color, and many more Americans miss out on the economic opportunities of a college education because of the fear of of its cost. And we continue to to see that in our uh, ecosystem of higher education. Um, The crisis of student lending can't be fixed with a one-size-fits-all approach to forgiveness. Um, you know, Chuck Schumer said it best when he said, borrowers don't just need their debts paused, they need them erased. And in communities of color, um, that that is the case. Um, when we talk about um, student loans by the numbers, student loan debt forgiveness would immediately increase the wealth of black Americans by up to about 40%. Um, black college attendees um, have a net worth that is um, $8,500 less than uh, white peers. Um, White bachelor's degree holders make between 19% among women and 30% among men uh, more in median annual income than their black counterparts. Uh, White households have a home ownership rate of 73% while 43% of black households own their homes. Um, 60% of Still, indebted black student loan borrowers don't have a savings account uh, because they don't have any money to put in one. And among black student borrowers on income-driven repayment plans, 71% do not have um, the ability to even be on those type of plans because they cannot meet the payment requirement.
0: So it's 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 bringing people down. It's it's it is. it's keeping them it's keeping them from moving forward and and I know Patricia that on a national level this is controversial what's what's happened in the last 2 years with this pause and what may happen when it comes September 1st
1: Yeah that's right there has been a lot of talk among democratic leaders about ways to start to forgive student loan debt and that I think really started to um, Gain momentum during the 2016 campaign when Bernie Sanders was calling for uh, free college tuition and Elizabeth Warren um, has now called for $50,000 worth of forgiveness for um, student loan debt. And that um, that question of forgiveness is something that... Uh, Senate leaders want to move on quickly, and they are talking about at least up to $10,000 for giving student loan debt up to Um, $10,000. But there is still a question about would that be targeted to low-income students? Um, Would that be targeted to certain communities? Um, Or could it at least be an across-the-board forgiveness? Um, That is a piece that Republicans have balked at considerably because they said that if somebody didn't Go to college, their tax dollars should not be used to pay off the debts of people who did go to college. So, somebody like uh, Buddy Carter in Savannah is a good example of a Republican who has said that. He's written um, extensively uh, calling it the luck of the wealthy. He said it's subsidizing wealthy students, although you would think wealthy students wouldn't be taking out loans. Um, but he said this is uh, low income and middle income people subsidizing education for wealthy students. Uh, Somebody like Senator Raphael Warnock has really pushed the White House on student loan forgiveness of at least up to $10,000 and perhaps more. So those are the contours of the debates going on. But I think because there is this looming deadline out there that these payments uh, are set to resume in September, it's creating an enormous amount of pressure on Democrats to do something because it was absolutely a part of President Biden's platform when he was running for president and won in 2020.
0: And, and Maria, I know that you, you, your feeling is that this, some of these plans are not going to work. Um, talk about how you're, you're feeling right now with, from, with, with, with um, what Patricia just said. Well, I mean, the, the student
3: loan debt statistics among racial and ethnic groups reflect dramatic differences in terms of financial health, habits, and resource availability, from one community to another. So, you know, ten thousand dollars is not going to penetrate um, this crisis at all. Um, you know, fifty thousand dollars is is more like it. But actually, um, you know, it's it's really, um, you know, the predatory lending in communities of color um, that you know really should be cause for us to think about even more than $50,000 because um, we allowed people to borrow uh, this money knowing that they couldn't pay it back, you know. And then we have real-life uh, uh you know, out there that are, you know, physicians and, and lawyers and can't even own a home because they don't have the ability to have the debt-to-income ratio to sustain or to support them being able to borrow money to even have a first home. Um, That is unfortunate, particularly um, in communities of color where, you know, we are told, go get an education. Um, Education is the great equalizer. Education will transform the trajectory of your life. And then when you do all of those things and you have this enormous student loan debt burden, there's no – Uh, golden parachute for you to be able to repay it and to move your circumstances um, in a direction of your dream. So it's it's very unfortunate um, and we have to do something about it. September 1 is coming uh, very soon and I hope that that we are able to yet again put a pause on repayment and I hope that we are able to um, come uh, to some type of solvent about um, uh, 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 a repayment plan that will help uh, Americans who find themselves in in this kind of crisis.
0: Yeah. David, do you want to talk a little bit about some of those uh, numbers you had earlier?
4: Sure. Um, You know, we're just to echo, I think, things that everybody has said that this the student loan crisis falls more sharply on, on, uh, certain individuals differently, depending on where you are situated, uh, both historically and I think structurally in the state. Um, what we are, I think, concerned about is, you know, there's the big things that people are going to put off having children put off, put off buying a home potentially, but there's also the immediate things of having to keep the lights on and having to, uh, eat and, You know, just looking at some of the numbers uh, I was pulling up, at least from 2017 and 2018, uh, individuals of color do borrow at higher rates in the state of Georgia than those uh, who are uh, white. And at the same time, we are just looking at enduring debt burdens. I think uh, we were referring to the number of individuals that might be over 65 or 70 years old that are still paying loans. Sometimes those are parent-plus loans that folks have done for their kids, Sometimes they are loans that have been in existence for 40 years or more. So we really have to think about, um, I think, in many cases, the, the student loan conversation has become a young person conversation, but that is not always true. We're also talking about individuals that are carrying debt with them into their older years when you should be, at least according to financial planners, trying to clear debt, trying to pay down debt, and if you're walking into uh, the – end of your life with high debt and a fixed income, we can see that this is setting itself up to really be a crisis going forward. So this is not what we are solely dealing with right now. We're looking at the way this problem is going to continue to bloom into the future for those Georgians who, uh, and I guess I think one of the other points worth making is a number of individuals never had an economic recovery from 2008, 2009's recession. Now we're also still climbing out of the pandemic recession, and on top of that, you've got student loans that are going to continue to weigh down people going forward, and we have to think about what, what does that mean for the future of the state of Georgia? What does that mean for economic growth? What does that mean for racial and gender equity?
0: Yeah. Eric, you've got people who have college degrees and are still needing to have more than one job, find other income sources struggling, as David pointed out. And yet, and part of it is because these loans are burdening them.
2: Yes, that's correct. Um, You know, it's, you know, it's an ongoing issue. And I know, um, you know, there have been some colleges, you know, particularly like, uh, you know, um, you know, Morehouse and Clark Atlanta University that have, you know try to come up with some different ideas you know where you know students can pay you know I think they call it an income driven plans, where you would pay a portion of your um your wages towards you know your student loan debt you know it's you know it's part of a growing effort to try to find different ways to help these students you know once they're out in the workforce um you know for many colleges you know for many students who graduate from college you know the default rates are around ten percent you know so you know there are a lot of students who you know who are you know to graduate from college and just, you know, because, you know, these debt, you know, or like about $400 a month and, you know, they just can't afford it, you know, particularly after the pandemic and, you know, all the challenges that it, it has created.
0: Yeah. And in, in the middle of all of this, Patricia, we're dealing with inflation and, and prices are high. So, you know, you're trying to put food on the table. You're trying to have some place to live with the, the rents high, housing buys, um, costs high, the whole bit. And then you're paying on these, you've got these student loans. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, it
1: is, um, as we said earlier, it's the one debt that doesn't go away. Um, Congress passed a law that said that these debts cannot be erased in bankruptcy. So even when somebody does could declare bankruptcy, their student loan isn't going anywhere. Um, and I do think it's important also to focus on the role of um, some colleges in this process. The cost of education itself has far outpaced inflation perhaps with the, with the uh, exception of this year, because inflation is very, very high. Um, but over the last 40 years, the cost of college has absolutely skyrocketed and it has far outpaced not just inflation, but also people's wages. And so um, colleges really, we see, are not competing on price. They're competing on prestige. I think they are selling sort of um, a dream, an American dream to some uh, high school students to say, if you do this, your life will change. You you will have X amount of earning power. In some cases, that is true. In some cases, it's not. But I think we're putting a huge burden on students and their parents to buy into something that has become unaffordable for almost all families in America without these huge loans that then cannot be forgiven. So it's this real spiral And colleges. I don't see them working on a broad scale to reduce the price of what they're offering. So students and their families are just on the hook for it. And there's no talk other than on the burden to the students. I think we should also talk about the burden to those schools to start to really look for a way to push down the prices that they're asking for.
0: Okay. Well, we want to continue this conversation, but we're going to take a break. Um, We'll take this first break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the student loan issue, how it's playing out along party lines a little bit more, and the state's election campaigns. This is Political Rewind on GPB.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
0: Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry filling in for Bill Nigut with the AJC's education reporter, Eric Sturgis, with the AJC's political columnist, Patricia Murphy. Maria Lumpkin, Vice President at Stillman College, and David Schaefer with the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Hey, David, real quick, I want to get in a question. You know, we put this out on social media, asking people for questions, and there's one that I hope you can answer briefly. And this is from Gwinnett Freedom, asks, why doesn't anyone ever talk about the obvious role the Federal Reserve has in this? Is there a role for the Federal Reserve in all of this?
4: So the the Federal Reserve role, I think, is definitely there in terms of setting interest rates. Uh, we know right now the feds are trying to slow the economy a little bit to bring inflation under control. Uh, they bumped up interest rates in last month, and they're set to bump them up again this month. Uh, there are going to be increases in student loan rates. And so, yes, there is a role for the Federal Reserve. How big those increases are depends on the type of federal student loan. You have. Uh, Those who have their student loan payments on pause right now through August, they're not going to be affected by the rate increase, but these rates are set each July. And so those that are going to borrow shortly or may take on new debt will see their loans increase. Uh, Just to give you an example, um, those that had their loans uh, dispersed after July 1 of this year will pay 4.99%. That's up from 3.73% last year. At this time. So to answer the question in short order, yes, the, the Fed has a role in this because they set interest rates broadly. Uh, it also it obviously is going to affect the private loan market as well. Those who are borrowing from banks or, or outside the federal government or state government, those loans are going to be affected as well. So I think it's a conversation worth having. Another conversation I think that we should have is the state has a stronger role to play allocating funds to support need-based financial aid. Uh, Really, Georgia is one of uh, only two states not to have a broad-based state-funded need-based financial aid program, and that's something we can work on. We've got a billion dollars. That's one and a B with a capital B. One billion dollars in unrestricted lottery reserves right now, and there are several options on the table as to what we could do with those lottery reserves. You know, one option clearly is to better fund Need-based financial aid. So, I would like to say the state has money on hand, and that there are a number of options that we could pursue. The Fed is part of that cluster of, and constellation of, of options that could be on the table, and agencies that could support that. But I would like to point to things that are much closer to home to support Georgia students. The state of government, the state government for the state of Georgia, could do things possibly more immediately than the Fed could.
0: Oh, okay, I, it, it's a good point. Patricia, I want to get back to the politics a little bit, and let's talk about you. We talked a little bit about um, the, you know, the ten thousand dollars versus the fifty thousand dollars. Let's talk a little bit about Congressman Drew Ferguson, and he wants the borrowers to pay back things themselves. I mean, he's he's focused on not having anything done to help borrowers at this point. Yeah, and I
1: think that that um, probably reflects. Uh, who we know are the, um, mostly, uh, the Republican constituency right now versus the Democratic constituency that we're seeing from, um, from our polling. Um, for, uh, Democrats, they are increasingly winning over college educated voters. That is, a, that is, uh, embedded in their college educated voters who have taken out student (laughs) loans. Obviously, uh, younger voters and voters of color um, are more likely to be voting Democratic and less so um, on the Republican side. I think that reflects I think the debate right now reflects um, largely not just the philosophical question about um, uh, who to support with federal funding, but then also who their likely voters are going to be, um, not just this November, but in an ongoing basis. And it also reflects the promises that have been made in the past. Again, President Joe Biden promised to um, help relieve some kind of student debt. It's also been a very, um, it's been uh, probably the most popular promise during the presidential campaigns in both 2016 and 2020 on the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, you just didn't hear that. Now, certainly Republicans have pushed for um, um, for funding for uh, during the pandemic for uh companies, corporations, ppp loans, it's not that there's no federal funding going out the door, but the talk of helping to forgive specifically student loan debt has never been a priority of the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things we know going into this is that the, the Democratic Party knows that they've that they have Um, A large portion of their party is African-Americans. It's the black population, Eric. And they and they they realize that that this is a priority. For that group.
2: Yes, um, you know, and, you know, and students, you know, are paying notice. So, you know, I remember covering a protest regarding student housing at the Atlanta University Center last fall. And there were students there who were holding up signs, you know, and talking about how, you know, the Biden-Harris campaign had promised to deliver on these issues. And, you know, they were saying, you know, that it's time for them to, you know, come through, you know, particularly on issues like, you know, you know, they were there for protest housing conditions, but they also talked about student loan debt, you know, and saying that, you know, they need to deliver now. We voted for them, and it's time for them to pay in. Now, on the other hand, you know, you do have, you know, some folks who, you know, who say that, well, you know, my, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't get any debt relief when I was a student and why should, you know, these students, you know, now, you know, they know what they were getting into. And so you do have that debate out there and it's, you know, and politicians like Joe Biden are trying to, you know, you are seeing, you know, you know, the challenges in sort of navigating this.
0: Yeah. Maria, there's this feeling that the government is giving away a lot. We've seen a lot of money come back to people over in the course of the Biden administration. And this is another example of that, possibly.
3: Look, look, President Biden promised millions of Americans that were saddled with student loan debt that help was on the way. And now he has only months to uh, figure out what he's going to do. But this doesn't need to be a political debate. It's really a humanitarian issue. Um, It's about people who thought to get an education and to finance it. They did the only thing that they knew how to do, and that's to get a student loan. And unfortunately, um, we are at a crossroads right now where um, we have to um, figure out you know how we're going to to maneuver um this huge issue um but Biden has to go big um whatever he decides has huge political uh, p- legal rather uh political and economic implications and he has to really um you know move forward uh, very expeditiously with whatever direction he's going to be going into and uh, we're fortunate in the great state of Georgia to have uh, a staunch advocate for um, making sure that, uh, you know, we have some student loan debt relief um, in Senator Warnock. And I hope that um, we will continue to have uh, that support and we will continue to um, uh, be able to move forward with um, being able to, you know, help Americans to, um, to be able to uh, address the student loan issue and to be able to uh, move forward with, with, um, with eliminating student loan debt completely.
0: Yeah. I'm, w- when we thought about this show, the, the producers are really great. They put out in, on social media asking for questions, and we did get a couple of them. I want to pay, play one of them right now from Nicole.
3: Hi, my name is Nicole. I'm calling to see if the midterm election will
0: impact student loan forgiveness. Thank you. Patricia, you take that one.
1: I would say that yeah. I think that it would, it would impact, uh, student loan forgiveness, particularly if there is an act of Congress that is needed. Um, it's something that could be done either by executive order or again, if there is uh, legislation, um, if the house flips from, uh, democratic control as it is now to Republican control as well as the Senate, I think you are looking at lower chances of student loan um, forgiveness on a wide scale because it simply has never been part of the Republican promise to their voters. Um, You can see how hard it is to get student loan forgiveness through a democratically controlled Congress. I think it becomes that much more difficult if Republicans were to take control of uh, Congress
0: yeah let's let's talk about the fact that September first is two months before the election. What are the chances that we'll see a pause on repayment right at September first um, and not and and making it a political issue even more because it's right before the election if the Biden administration goes for that. Eric.
2: Yeah, there have been some news reports that the pause will continue, you know, once we um before we get to September 1st, you know, there is a rise in, you know, in COVID cases nationally. So that might play a factor in this as well. So, um, you know, it has been extended. And, you know, I think there's a good chance that we will continue to see it extended. But, um, you know, we've, we still have a few weeks to figure, figure it out and see what happens.
0: Yeah. Patricia, I wonder if if that will be a political thing, you know, that that. Uh, Maybe, you know, it'll be looked at by Republicans as a way of um, of helping the the, the Democrats through the, the election process and rather than waiting until after the first of the year.
1: Oh, I'm sure it will be seen as a political thing and called a political thing because that's already happening. And so I think that that will continue to happen no matter what. I think, you know, what isn't a politicized issue right now, I can't barely think of one, uh, but certainly since the federal government is playing a role and it does require action from uh, President Biden, it certainly will be criticized as political if he does decide to act. Um, We have seen some reporting that student loan servicers have been told not to communicate yet with borrowers, um, indicating that they could be Um, meaning that they have not been told, okay, now it's time to get ready to repay and start with your payments again. Um, And so that was as recently as a couple of days ago. They had been told to hold off on any announcements or guidance to borrowers. So that's an indication that the um, White House could be making a move in that direction. But again, we just haven't heard. um, And so we're going to have to see. But I can tell you the pressure is immense, especially coming from somebody like Senator Warnock, who has physically gone to the White House, made his case in the Oval Office to President Biden, and Democrats know full well that Georgia is the seat that they absolutely must keep to maintain control of the Senate. Um, He carries sort of an outsized amount of weight in his request when he takes them to the White House, and he's using his request for student loans um, specifically to the White House.
0: Okay. Well, I want to take a break right now, our second break, final break, on Political Rewind, and when we come back, we'll have more with our guests. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry filling in for Bill Nygut with AJC Education Editor Eric Sturgis, AJC Political Columnist Patricia Murphy, Maria Lumpkin, a VP at Stillman College, and David Schaefer with the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. We had another uh, piece of sound come in, another message come into our voicemail about this, and it's about alternatives to loans. Let's hear that.
3: Hello, Bill Nygut and Donna Lowry and the entire Political Rewind family. I am a long-time supporter, long-time listener, delighted to have the opportunity to call in. Um, This is Elizabeth Rosner. My students call me Dr. Roz. I am delighted you're talking about the student loan crisis. I'm wondering if at some point in the show and perhaps maybe a follow-up show might be how to avoid the student loan debt because to me, that's part of the issue Is this what I call the human algorithm of folks who think that the only way to get out of college is by accepting loans or debt?
0: All right, then. So, Eric, I don't know whether you've looked at this or not, possibly figuring out ways to avoid getting into loan debt at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's it's a good question because i mean there are a few options out there um you know i think you know we talked a little bit earlier about income sharing agreements where students can agree to pay in a percentage of their um you know their future earnings towards you know their their loan debt the jury is still out on that among you know many groups um, who have concerns about some some about that approach But it is being used in some colleges locally and in other states. One issue also is that, you know, I mean, there is, you know, aid through Pell Grants, and, you know, there's been talk about increasing them or doubling them in many instances, you know, from Democratic leaders. You know, and we're, you know, we're still watching how that plays out in Washington. And, you know, and then part of it is also, you know, you have, you know, aid that's out there for students, and in many cases, you know, students are you know, their families are, you know, not applying for through the FAFSA system to, you know, get college financial aid, and there have been concerns and complaints that colleges aren't doing enough to help students do that aid process, and colleges are trying to do a little bit better on that front, but, you know, they're, you know, there's still, you know, a lot of students who, you know, still don't apply for that aid, and then also just looking at, you know, scholarships, um, you know, you know, we, you know, there's still a big gap between, you know, the larger colleges and some of the smaller ones when it comes to, you know, scholarships for students. Um, you know, I, you know, I remember, um, you know, Emory kicked off a $4 billion fundraising, you know, capital campaign last year. And then the following day, Clark Atlanta University announced a $250 million capital campaign. So it still shows the gaps between the wealthier colleges and NHBCUs, you know, that still have challenges getting that type of support from fundraisers and, you
0: know, philanthropists. Maria, I'm going to ask you to jump in here first and then Patricia.
3: Well, um, Dartmouth, um, for example, um, announced that it's removing all federal and institutional loans from its undergraduate financial aid awards and replacing them with expanded scholarship grants. And this, of course, is a historic and monumental change in, college, um, in the college's financial aid policy and that's going to take place um, uh, this fall. Um, but you know there aren't a lot of colleges and universities that can can do that. Um, we have to raise more money, particularly at historically black colleges and universities. We have to raise more money for scholarships. We have to have more philanthropists, philanthropists like the Mackenzie Scotts of the world and the um, the um, John, I believe his last name Smith, um, who, who you know. Uh, Paid off the debt of all of the students in uh, at Morehouse, um, one of the classes, um, and we have to have more people that are vested in the um, enduring mission of historically black colleges and universities, uh, particularly um, where their um, endow the endowments are, are significantly lower than than other uh, institutions. Um, But I think that um, we find lots of promising ways that this is happening. Morehouse School of Medicine, under the leadership of President Valerie Montgomery Rice, is doing a phenomenal job in making sure that um, students uh, don't come out of Morehouse School of Medicine with uh, a lot of debt. Um, You know, just going the extra mile, raising money to ensure that this is not a burdensome endeavor Um, for those who want to attain um, higher education.
0: Okay, Patricia.
1: Yeah, I think also um, there are uh, debt forgiveness programs for students, depending on which field they go into and where they choose to live after they graduate. Um, The uh, Mental Health Parity Act that passed the Georgia legislature includes funding for loan forgiveness for mental health specialties, especially nurses, and that's following the lead Of states like North Carolina that have programs in place. So you come out of school and if you go into that field, um, you would be eligible for that kind of forgiveness. I think also um, certain school districts around the country have loan forgiveness for teachers who come into rural and underserved areas. So I think there are strategic ways to sort of have a a one-off way to avoid that debt or have a plan to have it forgiven when when you're coming out of school. But in terms of a broad-term broad systemic effort, I think the country has a long way to go.
0: Yeah, it's going to take a lot of creativity and and just thinking outside the box to try to figure out how to reduce loans, having people get loans, and to try other means of getting through college. I, I do want to talk, David, a little bit about one of the areas that we're, we're seeing some of this continued growth in people getting loans, and that's, of course, private loans, which have been an issue for quite a while. And then these online classes that have certainly grown in the last 10 years or so, and those loans where people will say, will say well, I'm not going to be on campus, so it has to be cheaper. But in the end, it's really not, is it?
4: It's, it's not, and, and in fact, if you look at uh, private colleges and specifically online colleges and universities, the default rates are higher because the borrowing rates are higher. And so in many instances, um, you know, I think the previous question on how to avoid debt is a really good one, but I also want to be honest about the uphill climb for students who might be first-generation college students who are wrestling just with the complexity of the paperwork really working their way through how to apply for scholarships, considering what pricing looks like at individual colleges and universities when it's sometimes hard to figure out what the bottom line is. Uh, The application for FAFSA itself is not an easy application to fill out. And there are some nonprofits here in Atlanta, I think, that can help the Latin American Association does it for the Hispanic community, for example. I think Achieve Atlanta. does a lot of good work in and around helping individuals apply for scholarships. But we're really asking a lot out of students and their families of what is a pretty complex bureaucracy and process just to know what is out there. But you're absolutely right. I think in many cases, uh, those who are going to private schools end up having higher debt because it is largely unsubsidized by state government. Uh, there's not that as much taxpayer support. And then the online degrees themselves can also be very expensive. And in many cases, the individuals who might have applied for them might not have known what resources were available. Some of this really is going to boil down, I think, when individuals are applying for schools and thinking about them, who do they know who they can talk to? Where do they go to find the information? Is that information understandable for them and their families? Do they have access to a computer? So the digital divide is still very real. And these are things that, Individuals with lower incomes are facing as they think about college, and so in many cases uh, it's not just a lack of income, it's a lack of information, it's a lack of exposure to the system and and they may have been able to get a better bargain somewhere else. they may have had resources on the table, but they simply didn't know about it, so that information asymmetry is a real challenge,
0: yeah, uh, Eric,
2: yes, um you know it like I say, you know it is a challenge, you know, in many cases, you know with, you know, colleges trying to provide students the right information about different um, options that are out there. I mean, they are trying to, you know, some of them are trying to find different ways to find more aid, like, you know, Emory University did create an um, expanded its need-based aid program where they're trying to offer that to more students. Um, the university system of Georgia throws tuition rates for the coming fall, you know, recognition that, you know, that, um, you know, students are still having challenges, you know, paying for um college at affordable rates. And so, you know, I think the pressure is mounting our colleges and universities to do more in this space. And so, you know, there, there is some progress, but there's still a lot more work to do.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have to see that happen. I would love this conversation. I want to thank all of you for being with me, but that's all the time we have for today. Th- thank you for tuning in to Political Rewind. Bill Nyga will be back tomorrow. And a special thanks to the talented team that produces this show, Natalie Mendenhall, Chase McGee, Victoria Evans-Cash, and Jake Cook. Uh, Cook, thanks so much for being here with us today. And um, Bill, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day.